Mark chapter 1. And um, I, I want to say a quick word about uh, veterans and uh, about D-Day, actually. My, on that day, June 6, 1944, my grandparents were married, and that was their wedding day. And they, they didn't know. We had other, my, my grandfather had cousins who were there, um, and my grandfather was finishing up seminary training in Louisville, and they were, they were married up in Kentucky, my grandparents, and then he shipped out to be a hospital chaplain on an army, I mean, a, on a hospital boat, um, army chaplain on a hospital boat uh, in the North Atlantic, and he had some, some harrowing stories. Uh, and so the, just to say that the nature of veterans, not everybody was, um, you know, on the front lines with the, with the guns and all, but a lot of people sacrificed just then. I mean, and they continued to do so. Uh, my, my chairman of deacons at my first church, this is only my second church. And this prepared me. He prepared me. Don Daniels, I preached his funeral last year, 2020 or 2019. And he was, uh, he's from Midlands of South Carolina. And, uh, he was recruited by, eventually ended up in the Marine Corps, went to Paris Island, and went straight from Paris Island to Iwo Jima in World War II without going to machine gunner school, but he ended up as a machine gunner on Iwo Jima. And if you know anything about Iwo Jima, the life expectancy for a machine gunner during Iwo Jima, during that assault, was very, 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 very short. And, I mean, it was seconds. And uh, I think it was like 18 seconds, but I'm not sure. I know it's, it was incredibly short. And so, and his brother, P.A., who was a little bit older than he, he went into the Navy. Um, but Don, you know, Don survived, survived World War II, came home, raised a family, uh, served his church, and was a faithful member, faithful follower of Christ for many years. Uh, but knowing him, I knew him about four or five years, and I only got blips of stories uh, because it was so painful to talk about all those years later. Uh, and so there are men and women who served uh, faithfully, valiantly, some very uh, visibly, some invisibly, uh, and many of them carry, they continue, those who are still with us, they continue to carry uh, heavy burdens. And so we should always be um, respectful and, uh, and, and value them anyway. So uh, I'm thankful for the veterans. I'm thankful for uh, the sacrifices that have made this possible and I don't want to step on a, uh, on a soapbox, but there's many in my generation who, would, um, who might not see this as something appropriate in a worship service. You might not believe that, but that's true. And, uh, but I think we have to acknowledge that God has not only called us to follow Jesus, he's called us to follow Jesus in this country. Uh, and that while America has, has had and has and will continue to have all sorts of issues that we don't have time to get into um, God has blessed us with a um, unparalleled freedom, um, unknown in really unknown for, for the vast swaths of human history. And now there is a that's a great gift of grace. It also carries a grave responsibility that we have to consider how we have stewarded and how we are stewarding it. What are we doing with the great freedom that God has given us? Uh, so anyway, I'm not going to start preaching that sermon. Um, but um, we're thankful and we ought to be thankful 
uh, warts and all, we ought to be thankful that God has called us to serve here because there are brothers and sisters around the world gathering today who are doing so in secret. They're doing so under threat of jail, imprisonment, uh, forfeiting their property, forfeiting their jobs, and some even forfeiting their life. And yet they continue to worship. And you consider the things that we grumble about as the American church. That said, rough segue, Mark chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Would you stand as I read? And hear the word of the Lord. And he, that is Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us for such a time as this and such a land as this to such a scripture as this. And we know it is not by accident, but it is by your plan. And so, Lord, would you give us now at this appointed moment ears to hear and eyes to see hearts that are soft to your spirit's touch. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but Lord, your word will never pass away. So would you speak? Would you bring us the eternal counsel of God through your spirit and through your word? Father, speak to us. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is finally sort of departing Capernaum. He's leaving the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, which is his home base. He comes back there in chapter 2. But he takes up sort of an itinerant ministry where he's a, he's a circuit rider, but he's not riding. But he's going around and he's preaching the gospel and he's healing. He's preaching this verse 39. He's going all through Galilee. So this would be up. The Sea of Galilee is up here. This is Jerusalem down here. Sea of Galilee is up here. Galilee is up here. So this would be northern Israel-ish. And so Jesus is bumping around there, preaching and casting out demons. So he's doing, as he said in verse um, earlier to uh, verse 36, 38, excuse me. No, this is why he's come, that he might go around, that he might spread the news that Jesus is, if you will, his self-perception of his ministry is primarily as one who is a preacher prophet who is proclaiming the entrance of the kingdom of God. Now he becomes to be he comes to be known as a miracle worker and you might have you might consider Jesus in his earthly ministry as primarily a miracle worker but the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom is primary in Jesus's mind. He says it in verse 38. I've this is why I've come. I've come out so that I may preach. We have to leave Capernaum, we have to keep going and I have to preach. 
I need to preach. I need to preach. There is this burden upon Jesus that is... If his burden was the, the shining of the sun, there is the shining of a small, faint candle comparatively in every pro- preacher of the gospel that we have to preach. Uh, that there is a burden upon those who are called to the gospel ministry, to the very ministry of Jesus, to, to a continuation of this ministry of Jesus, to preach the word. Uh, and I wonder whether some of you might be there or have experienced such a call. I would, that's one of my great prayers in my ministry is that God would raise up uh, preachers in our midst to uh, send out. So that is neither here nor there. But Jesus' uh, self-perception is a preacher. Um, that's not only it, but he's a preacher and he comes with authority. He's teaching with authority. We learn earlier in the chapter and his authority of proclamation and of teaching is mirrored in his authority of miracle working is that he's able to cast out demons. He's able to cast out fevers. And now he comes to a leper and, and leprosy was is a unique thing. It's a unique thing in the sense that it's a sickness like any other sickness. Um, But leprosy destroyed the social fabric of communities. Leprosy destroys social fabric. So someone who was diagnosed with leprosy in the the ancient Near East was a a whole host of skin conditions. It's not just technical leprosy that we know today. But a person who is a leper would be required to remove him or herself from community and live outside of the city per Moses' law. So... If you're curious about this, uh, and you've already read this in our Bible reading, I'm sure all of you know, this is fresh on your mind. Leviticus 13 and 14 are always at the forefront of your mind. But that's where we learn about the, the Mosaic law regarding leprosy. And it's verses 45 and 46 of Leviticus 13. Uh, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You see it throughout the Bible where lepers are outside the camp. Sometimes they get together like second Kings chapter seven, which is a really cool chapter. But uh, that they're they're kind of banding together, searching for community searching for real connection because they've been plucked from their families. They've been plucked from their vocations and from their mom and their dad and their brothers and their sisters or their husband or wife or kids that they've, they're all of a sudden they're removed and they're isolated and they're alone. And as 2020 and 2021 testifies, it is not good for men or women or any people to live alone for too long. Isolation is crippling and crushing. But sometimes isolation is an imposed isolation, like, hey, don't go get COVID. Let's all hide for a bit. Um, or, and that's not derogatory, that's what we did. We didn't know, right? We didn't know what it was. And we, we, we isolated and we, we, we withdrew, many of us. And, it, and then it was all complicated by other issues. But sometimes there's that imposed isolation. But oftentimes isolation is something that people pursue by choice. There's a, a functional isolation where, and, and this might be someone even who bumps or who might even be here today. So this kind of functional isolation is, is not just someone who lives as a hermit. Those people exist. They live, they live in, in caves in Idaho. Um, 
just kidding. They really do, but they live elsewhere too. Like they don't, they don't go meet people. Uh, in Alaska, they love, they make TV shows about them in Alaska. Uh, but there are also people who, who move about in this life without ever really having real connection with another person. They move about in the context of other people. They go to work. They might even go to church. They, they go home. But they're never really ultimately known, and they never really know other people. There's no connection. So not only this, this leprosy, and, and they might not be considered themselves leprous, and they might be very good-looking and very healthy, and yet they have no connection in this world. So not only is leprosy, did it destroy social fabric, but there's a type of sin that destroys social fabric as well. The isolation blooms. And sometimes isolation, this, this idea that I'm going to withdraw people, withdraw from other people because they've been wounded by other people. You enter, and this is the, the necessity of love is that we extend ourselves. We become at least some degree vulnerable to someone else. And when that vulnerability, when that open nerve is struck, the, the first instance, particularly people who struggle with this, the first reaction would be like a snail hiding in its shell. They go back in or a turtle. There's a, there's a withdrawal. And that's an understandable one. But dear one, if that's you, you can't live there. You can't live isolated and withdrawn without being known and knowing that we are a people built for community. We're built for family. Now, not everybody's called to be married and not everybody's called to have children. But we're still called to be a part of a family. To have people that know us. Last night, we, we celebrated Evelyn May's birthday with my, my parents and my sister and brother-in-law, and my two nieces. And we've been kind of kicking that can down the road for a couple weeks now when we finally got together. And... Excuse me, I'm getting over something that isn't COVID, so don't freak out. Uh, and, sorry, but, uh, but my, my sister was there. My sister and I have a very precious and unique relationship, but she is someone, uh, like there are other people, but she's someone who knows me and I know her and she can, she can get up in my grill, so to speak, get up in my face, and she does. She would tell you that she does uh, because I know her and she knows me. That there is a known and being known, knowing and knowing relationship. That we're made for family. But, but when Jesus saves a person, when Jesus comes into a life, he does not leave us. He, can, he, he does a transformative work in a person's life, but he doesn't leave that person who may be isolated and lonely and alone. He doesn't leave them there. And this is my fear, one of my fears that stems in or blossoms in post or what we're not quite post COVID. But as the church continues to figure out what on earth are we supposed to do right now as COVID is still in the air and all these things are still going on. And there's still many people who are, have not returned to church and some people who won't return to church. And some people have gotten very comfortable not coming to church or very comfortable kind of. You know, I can watch eight sermons. I've had somebody, they didn't say eight, but hey, pre- preacher, I can watch, I can watch you and I can watch Charles Stanley and I can watch Alistair Begg. You might not even know who that is. I can, I can listen to a John Piper podcast. I can get all of these sermons. And I was like, well, that's great. 
that's not the only thing that happens here. That's not the only thing that happens for me as a pastor. And for you as a church member, that we need one another. We need this community. And so this leper who, uh, who is supposed to be, I, he is supposed to be, according to the law, isolated. He's not supposed to be around. And you see this elsewhere in the Gospels where lepers stand kind of far off from Jesus. Trying to respect the law of this, this rabbi who obviously knows the law. But this man has this overcoming hope. He has an overcoming confidence in the ability of Jesus. In his mind, there is no doubt that Jesus can heal him. There's no doubt that Jesus can overcome his problem. That Jesus can cleanse him and restore him. And there's no doubt. The doubt resides not in Jesus' ability, but in Jesus' willingness. Will Jesus heal me? I know that he can. I've heard stories of Capernaum. We're not far away. I, I know I might have a cousin or an uncle who is, who is there at, at Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house who, who is touched or is healed by the power of Christ. But he has his overcoming hope who comes and he kneels. He, he humbles himself. Remember, the Lord regards the lowly. Though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. A broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. Dear one, you, have, you ought to have full confidence if you come to Christ humbly, seeking His hand of rest- restoration and healing and forgiveness. He will not cast you aside. Have no doubt about the ability of Jesus, but have no doubt also about His willingness to save. He comes and He kneels down. Some of the other gospel writers, I think Luke says he goes on his face before Jesus and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. This is not if you can. That shows up elsewhere in the gospels. This is if you will. And Jesus moved with pity. That's kind of a a neutered word these days, pity. Nobody wants to be pitied. Moved with compassion. Literally, he's, he's moved at the very core of his being. He's moved in his, in his guts. If you were to do, go do a word study on this. He's, he's moved in his guts. That when Jesus moves toward us in love and in grace, it is not something that he, he brings onto his nature. It's something that flows from the very center of his being. His compassion toward us is not like a jacket that he puts on, but his compassion toward us is who he is. Jesus is here in the flesh because he is compassionate, because he has pity on the broken, because he regards the lowly. He doesn't doesn't flit in and out of being compassionate and not compassionate. Jesus is compassionate and he moves towards the leper in compassion. He moves toward the leper in compassion and says, I will. That he overcomes the doubts with his word. I will be clean. And let me kind of reverse this. The only way that the leper gets clean is if Jesus wills. And the only way that you are forgiven 
The only way that you're restored and reconciled to the God who has made you and sent his son into, wor- into the world to save you is if he wills. And so have no doubt right now. And what I mean by that, let me kind of unpack it before you, you chase some rabbit in your head. But unless the Lord is a willing savior. You have no reason to be confident when you come to Christ. But because he is a willing savior, because he is willing and able, you can come to Jesus with all confidence, knowing that he will keep his promise to save. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But if I could kind of maybe put something on that, only those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The only leper that gets cleansed in the story is the leper who comes and lays down at the feet of Jesus saying, I need what you have. So there are some who, for whatever reason, might be living in an isolation. They might be living, living in an imposed isolation or they might be living in one that is caused by sin where your sin has continually wrecked relationships all around you and it has made, made it impossible for people to be around you. You haven't made yourself known. You, you, every time you step into a relationship, your sin destroys it. Just as it has destroyed your relationship with God. And what you need to know, and I praise God that you're hearing this if this is you, is that Jesus offers you now not only community, but he offers you new life. That that destruction that has been plaguing you, it's plagued your marriage or marriages, it's plagued your kids' lives, your work lives. That Jesus says, I can come and touch the tap root of that. It might not all get perfect like this. But he says, I can come and heal you from the inside out. That your gravest problem aren't all of these people who you don't know how to love and they don't know how to love you. Your gravest problem is that you don't know your God. So he moves with pity and compassion, extends himself towards the man and he identifies with the leper. He does something scandalous that Jesus reaches out and touches this man. You know what would happen Old Testament law, what happens if you go and touch a leper? You are unclean. And then you have to go isolate for a time. That You have taken your, their uncleanness, so to speak, upon yourself. But see, with Jesus, it's a different. He's the, he's the fountain of life. And so instead of uncleanness coming upon him, he flows with forgiveness and restoration flowing out of him. And this is a physical picture that he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Psalm, I mean, excuse me, Isaiah 53, that he is the one who the word become flesh and dwelt among us, that he identifies with our brokenness, he identifies with our need, and we have the visible manifestation of Jesus doing this here. That he touches the leprous man. He could have healed him by a word, but he says, I'm coming alongside you. I'm going to heal you and help you. And here is my hand. That's fantastic. And this is what we need. 
And God have pity on you if you think you're if you're too proud to see that you need this hand of Jesus. If you are not, if you don't know Jesus this morning, you need this hand to pull you out of the darkness. If you do know Jesus, you continue to need this hand. I don't know about you. I know me. I need you every hour. And immediately, there is no hesitation. The antibiotics don't take any time to work. That this is a miraculous, instantaneous miracle from the hand of Jesus where this leprous man is, the leprosy leaves him and he is made clean. So the leprosy leaves him. There's that negative aspect. And there's the positive. He's made clean. He's restored. He's as he ought to be. And so in this physical healing, we have a, a, a picture of the spiritual power of what Christ does when he brings us to new life. We're dead, lost, isolated from God and from one another. He brings us to new life by his healing touch. He heals us, forgives us, and restores us to relationship. And he said to this man, see, and he gives him one thing to do. Don't just keep your mouth shut. And you might, be, you might think, why, would, why on earth would Jesus, who's coming, as we, we've already, already seen this in verse 34, I think it was, where, where he was quieting the mouths of the demons who were saying who he was. Why on earth would Jesus, if he wants to be known, why not let all of these people publicize what he's done? Because there's a very real sense in Mark's gospel that you don't really know Jesus fully until you know Jesus on the cross. You don't know the Messiah unless you know the Messiah crucified, buried, risen. And so Jesus doesn't want to, there's that kind of spiritual reality. But the two, we see a very practical reality. If Jesus, if everybody's shouting from the hilltops that Jesus is the Messiah, the Romans are going to get involved. It's going to become very, very difficult for Jesus to continue in his ministry. And the disobedience of this man who once was a leper made well the disobedience of this man prevented many other people from hearing about Jesus. It prevented many other people. Jesus could no longer go from town to town because this guy was blabbering everywhere, which you get it, right? He's just experienced this tremendous change, transformation, 180 in his life. What else could he do but blabber? Christian, take notice. If Jesus has really done all of these things in our lives, we should be people who are ready to shout it from the rooftops. And in fact, now, this side of the resurrection, this side of Pentecost, receiving the Holy Spirit, that in fact is what you have been charged to do. Is to publicize Jesus. Is to make Him known. Is to share Him with your, with your household and with your kids and with your neighbors. Wherever the Lord has you, make sure they, that He has you there to make Jesus known. So for some of you, that's literally going to be talking and speaking. For other of you, it's going to be a quiet, consistent witness. I want to acknowledge that. But you have been charged with it. So whereas this man's disobedience and blabbering all over Galilee prevented others from hearing the message of Jesus and receiving his touch, 
Our disobedience today, not blabbering about Jesus all over the place, is preventing many, many people from hearing of the life-changing power of Christ. You get what I'm saying? Our disobedience today is the very opposite of his, but all of it's disobedience, and it has the same result. People aren't hearing about Jesus. Disobedience prevents the blessing of others. But obedience is the, this is the great gratitude, the thankfulness that flows from a changed heart. When we begin to know that God pulls us out of darkness, out of our our self-made, sin-made isolation, imprisonment. When he transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Gratefulness should grip us. Because all of that's of grace. It's not, you didn't earn it. You're not so great that Jesus had to save you. But he saved you nonetheless. And now gratitude is lived out obeying Jesus. Obeying Jesus in your heart. Obeying Jesus in your mind. Obeying Jesus with what you do, with where you go, how you speak, how you spend your money. You begin to ask the question, if Jesus is Lord, how then should I do this? If Jesus is Lord, how then should I buy my groceries? He's Lord of the mundane. If Jesus is Lord, how then ought I to live my life? He's Lord of the great, the big questions and the little questions. But not only is he Lord, but he's my savior. He's bought me with a price. Disobedience, I mean, obedience flows from gratitude, thankfulness. But too often we've so made ourselves the center of the gospel in our thinking that there's very, very little room for gratitude. If we think that we've contributed to our salvation, if we think somehow we've accomplished it on our own, why would we we be thankful? We would be proud and puffed up, saying, look at what I've done. But rather we say, look at what Jesus has done. He didn't have a lot to work with. The sinner broken down in the dirt over here. And yet he's changed me. He's transformed me. He's made me new. Done away with my sins. And given me his spirit. That I might look like Jesus. So begin to ask the question, Lord, since you have saved me, how then would you have me live today? Not just on Sunday, but tomorrow too. And all the other days. Three takeaways. Jesus is willing. Go to him. Go to him humbly. Do not doubt his willingness. He will not give you the swift kick in the rear end that you deserve, but he will open up his arms of grace and say, come. Seek him humbly. Two, the leper was desperate. Know your need. God has very little to do, very little good to do with proud people. Humble people acknowledge that we are needy, that we have affronted and offended the holy God. Three, how about four takeaways? Three, 
Don't live in isolation. One of my fears in this post, I brought it up earlier. One of my fears in post-COVID church is that we would settle for sitting on the couch watching TV than rather engaging in real community with the church. You, you're meant for one another. You, you, you've already done it. You might not know it. Can I do this real quick? I'm going to do it. I don't care what you say. Uh, <laughs> that we, you've already done it. We've been singing. We've been singing. And I, I, I had to stop several times so that I had a voice to do this part of the service. Um, but I would just hear you. And scripture says that you, you've already done a ministry function. Teaching and admonishing one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You've already been doing it. But dear one, if you're at home on your couch or you're driving down the road to the ball game and you've got it on a podcast, that's great. It's better than nothing. But I can't hear you sing over there. And I need your voice. And the other people here need your voice. They need to know not only your voice, but they know your story. They know a little bit of where you've come from and what you've gone through. And then when you hear someone, when you know someone who's gone through what some of you have gone through, with grief and mourning and sickness and cancer and losing your job and whatever other uncertainties, when we know your story and then we hear you, I know you singing, then it makes me thankful to God that he can do that in your life so that when my hard time comes, as it has come and another one's going to come, that I know I I can be encouraged and built up by your faith. Simply by the fact that you chose to sing a song on Sunday morning and be present. So be a part of community. That's not the only way. This is not the only way we're a part of community. Get in a group with people. Be known and know people. Pray for people. All right, finally. (coughs) Number four. Obey. Obey Jesus. I was about to pack up my stuff and walk off. Obey Jesus. What has Christ said? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All right? Love one another. Bear with one another. Pray for one another. What has Jesus said? Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Good grief. But see this. Your obedience flows from gratitude. And it flows into other people hearing of Jesus. So when I say obey Jesus, I mean, I don't just mean go tell other people about Jesus, which you ought to do. That's obedience. But obey Christ from the heart. For dear one, your holiness is a witness. In this broken world, you shine as lights in the darkness. So obey Jesus, the Jesus who has saved us and who is willing and able to save. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you pull us from isolation and plug us to community. We recognize, O oh Lord, that you have wired us for yourself, but also for one another. And that in your wisdom, you have brought us to such a time as this that we might both know you and be transformed by you, but that we would be a transformed people together who edify and build up and encourage one another. So Lord, would you give us grace for those who have not trusted you, who are 
living in the self-imposed prison of sin. God, would you give them grace that your healing touch might come upon a humbled heart and new life might come by the power of Jesus. She would cause them to leave the darkness and step into the light by the power of your spirit. Father, I pray for the ones who today are struggling and they they have no doubt that you created the heavens and the earth and that you're able to do whatever you want to do, but Lord, somewhere in them, they doubt your willingness. They doubt whether you would even want to save one such as them. I pray that they would know right now that that doubt is a seed of Satan. And Lord, you are a willing Savior. And that you would give them grace to come. To humble themselves before you, Lord Jesus. I pray in the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 2 that you would knit us together in love at Blaney. This vibrant community that testifies of your grace that you would continue to deepen our bonds to one another. Deepen our bonds to the church as a whole, but also to smaller groups that you would help us to know and to be known and encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. But Lord, having been changed, having been saved, having been forgiven, having been given your spirit and an eternal inheritance in the heavens, having been given everything that we've been given in Jesus, would you cause gratitude to blossom in us, a thankfulness that endures all things, and a thankfulness that leads us to obey? And would you grant the obedience that the world may know, that our lost neighbors may know, that those who have once were in church, but they were so burned and hurt that they would know that you are willing and able and that the nations would know that Christ is Lord and Savior. So Lord, have your way amongst us. We praise you, O God. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.